Um, today we are continuing in our series on the Gospel of John. Um, last week we were in chapter 9, in which Jesus healed a man born blind, a man who was blind from birth. And uh, at the end of chapter 9, uh, Jesus is there, and some religious leaders say, wait, are we blind also? Are you calling us blind? And then Jesus says, um, if, if you were blind, um, you would have no guilt. But because you claim to see, because in their pride, they claim to have knowledge of God, yet rejected Jesus, he said, your guilt remains. And then in chapter 10, where we are right now, the conversation continues. So this is very much a continuation of what happened in chapter 9. One of the reasons why I really believe and love preaching from an entire book of the Bible, because context matters. Context matters. None of us watches five minutes of a movie from the 43rd minute. Well, you do if you're looking at a clip online, but that's not normally how we watch movies and then watch another two minutes from near the end and then go back to the very beginning. We watch the whole movie straight through to understand the context of the movie, and um, that's what we're trying to do in John, the book of John here. So we are continuing on in chapter 10. Jesus is still speaking here. He had just healed the blind man in the midst of these unbelieving religious leaders. So he says here, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, 
These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of God. Now, um, there's a lot going on here. It seem, that can seem straightforward, and some of it is, but some of it is, is a little bit more complicated than that. So what happens here in the first six verses of, of this passage is Jesus uses what John calls a figure of speech. So like a, a metaphor, an analogy, this is a figure of speech. It is a very familiar figure of speech for the people of Israel. It is about shepherding. Shepherding was super, super familiar to them. Um, they, they are a, a nation uh, that it, where shepherding is a huge part of their history. If you've read the Bible before, you might remember that Abraham was a shepherd. Uh, Moses also, after his 40 years in the palace, when he ran away and he was out in the wilderness for 40 years, he also was a shepherd of the flocks of his father-in-law, Jethro. The people of Israel, when they were in Egypt, in slavery, they were also shepherds. They shepherded the flocks of not only their own, but the Egyptians as well. And David, the greatest king of the Old Testament, before he slew Goliath, he was also a shepherd boy. Shepherds, shepherds, shepherds. They knew all about shepherds. Many families had sheep in, the own, in their own courtyard, inside their own house. Some people, though, kept their sheep in a communal pen, which is what is happening here in this illustration, in this figure of speech. What they would do is many families, maybe a few families or maybe multiple fam many families, would all keep their sheep together in one place, and they probably did this because they can chip in and hire a guard to watch the door, to watch the gate of the sheep. Now, why do you need a guard? Because sheep are valuable. Sheep are valuable. And people want to steal sheep for the meat, for the food, or to sell them or whatnot. So that's why they needed guards. Jesus is saying that the shepherds, there are shepherds who are properly there to take care of the sheep, but then there are also thieves. They're thieves and robbers, and, and what they do is they try to climb over the wall and sneak in to the sheep pen at night in order to steal um, sheep. That's the figure of speech that Jesus is using, and it's, it's really straightforward if you think about it, very simple. When he talks about the shepherd, and he talks about the thieves and the robbers, and he talks about entering through the door of, of the sheep pen, what is he saying? Basically, if I could just use a couple of photos, he's saying that if you see this, um, that's okay. That's very, very normal, a man entering his house. Nothing weird about that. He's going through the door of his house. Now, if you're walking around your neighborhood at night and instead you see this, now that's questionable. At the very, very least, it's questionable, unless you know your neighbor. Oh, Bob forgot his keys or something like that, but Bob really should figure out another way to get into his house rather than this. But if you see this, this is very questionable, very sus, as the young people say. <laughs> Although nobody says that anymore, right? Right? So young people laugh at me for even trying to use their language. I'm sorry. I should just, I'll stop. Um, this is what Jesus, very simply, he's saying that this is, this is not legit, right? And, and the shepherds go through the gate. They're known by the guard, but thieves and robbers, they climb in another way. Now, this is what Jesus is saying here. Remember the context from chapter 9? He's saying, in this context, primarily, the thieves and the robbers are the religious leaders here. They're the religious leaders. 
The Pharisees and the scribes, not all. There are some who believe in Jesus, Nicodemus, and others. But most of them who had Jesus crucified, these are thieves and robbers. They're not shepherds. They're false shepherds. They're thieves and robbers. And what they're doing, actually, rather than taking care of the sheep, is they're fleecing the sheep for their own benefit. Um, In Luke 16, it says that the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, these things being Jesus' teachings, and they ridiculed him. They were lovers of money. That's That's what Luke says about them. Not only did they love money, but they were really shady. And they they did bad stuff. In Mark 12, Jesus said, beware of the scribes, who were religious leaders as well, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widowed houses. What does that mean? That means they're taking advantage of these poor widows who lost their husbands, but they still have that house, they have that land, and somehow they're going in there, taking advantage of them, and getting that house, getting that land. Why? Because they love money. They love money so much that rather than taking care of their sheep, they fleeced their sheep. They took advantage of them. These were not shepherds. They were false shepherds. They were thieves and robbers. Now, now when Jesus told this, this figure of speech, they didn't understand That's what it says at the end of verse 6. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying. So he goes on. Now now in verses 7 through 18, now this is is a little bit tricky. This is a little bit challenging here. Why? Because what we see here is the the figure of speech in verses 1 through 5 suddenly becomes what looks like a mixed metaphor where Jesus is not just the shepherd, if you didn't know that, the good shepherd, I'm giving away here, it's, you know, pretty obvious though that Jesus is the good shepherd, but he's also the door. So get, what, what gets confusing here is it seems like there is a mixed metaphor going on. So what exactly, well, Jesus, what exactly are you, are you saying here? We would think from verses one through five that the main contrast is between the thief and the shepherd, right? And they're the main characters. The shepherd goes through the door. He's the legit shepherd. But the thieves and the robbers, they don't go through the door. They climb over the fence. And, 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 and it's a contrast between these two. Verse 9, it, might have, it probably would be easier for us, more natural, if it said something instead. Instead of saying, I am the door, if anyone enters by me. If it just said, if anyone follows me. Why? Because he's the shepherd, right? If anyone follows me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pastor. But it doesn't. But he says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pastor. So this, what does this mean? It's, it's kind of confusing, right? If you, if you really try to drill down on this, what does this mean? Because, I mean, sheep, don't you have to go through the door? How else can sheep get in and out, right? What do you mean, Jesus, you're the door if sheep go in and out by me? There's only one door. Don't you mean you're the shepherd and if they follow you? So this is where this mixed metaphor gets really kind of confusing. Now, it's, it's not that confusing if we think about it this way. What's happening here in 7 through 18 is this. It is an explanation. Jesus is giving an explanation because they didn't understand him. He's, 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 he's explaining what he meant by his figure of speech. But he's not just giving an explanation. He's also expanding on his original metaphor. 
It's an explanation, but it's also an expansion. He's, he's not limiting himself to just being the shepherd. He's also saying, you know what? In that figure of speech, I'm also the door. Here's how. That's really what I think is happening here. If we try to limit it to exactly what was happening in the first few verses, it gets confusing. But he's not only explaining, but he's expanding his original figure of speech. And I think if we look at it that way, things become a little bit easier to understand. So what is he saying here when he says that he is the door? Now for me, this is very, very reminiscent, and maybe for some of you, of John 14, verse 6. Four chapters later, Jesus would say to the disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Way, way there is very much like door. It implies a a, a single way, a single door. Jesus is saying there, the only way to experience life, the only way to, to be reconciled with God the Father, to be reunited with Him, to be in relationship with Him, is through Him. He's the only truth. He is the only way. He is the only door. Only if you go through this door will you have salvation. Only if you go in and out of this door will you experience the abundant life. Now, the the important thing for us to know here, for us to understand, is that Jesus is making a very exclusive claim to salvation. It is not, as has popularly been said, that all roads lead to heaven. It's not like heaven is the top of a mountain and there's many different trails you can take on different sides of the mountain to get to the top, to get to heaven. On one side of the mountain, you have Christianity, but then on the other side, you have Buddhism. Then on the other side, you have Islam. Then another path over there, there's atheism that somehow gets there to heaven or whatever it is as well that they believe in. And all roads, they're different roads, but they lead to the same place, heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the door to salvation. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, except through Jesus Christ, except through believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. It is the only way to salvation. One time, I shared this a long time ago, one time I was in a Buddhist temple. I forget how I ended up there. I was in a Buddhist temple and I was talking to a monk and the monk found out that I was a pastor, that I was a Christian pastor. He got very excited. He says, I want to show you something. And I said, okay, what? And he brought me over to this big painting. And it was a painting of mountains and trees and, and like a lake and you know, birds. And it was beautiful, just really serene painting. And there were a crowd of people in that painting. And he says, look, I want to show you something. Look at this painting here. You see all these people? And I looked over, I said, yes. He said, you see there? There's Jesus. I said, oh, Jesus. I thought, well, that, that does look like the typical Western depiction of Jesus with, you know, long hair, blonde, blue eyes, like that kind of Jesus there. I, was like, I, I recognize that Jesus. Okay, that Jesus, yeah. And he goes, I was like, wow, we're in a Buddhist temple. That's cool that you picture of Jesus. He says, and look at him next to him. Next to him right there, that's Muhammad. I was like, oh, okay. And they're, they're friends. And next to Muhammad right there, look, that's, that's Buddha. I was like, oh, the whole gang's here. The whole gang's here. Everybody's here. All these important religious figures and messiahs and all these different things. He said, they're, they're all there. They're all there. Basically, what he, was, what he was saying to me, he was saying is, we all believe the same thing. You believe your messiah. I believe my, my messiah. Your path, my path, all ends up in the same place. It all ends up in the same place. And he was a very nice monk, but that's not true. That's absolutely not true. 
Jesus makes very clear here, there is one road to the Father, one door to enter through, and that is Him. Him. Through faith in Him. Through the cross and what He has done for us. And not only does this lead to salvation, but, but He says here, this is how we'll be saved, but He says this is how we go in and out and find pasture. In other words, through faith in Jesus, you experience life. He comes to give us life and life abundantly. True life, purpose, meaning in life. It comes through faith in him. And that is the only way to experience true meaning and purpose in life. It's through Jesus, not through any other means, not through any other way, not through any other door, but through Jesus alone. Now, again, going back to this mixed metaphor, the question is, but, but there's only one door. The, the sheep, what other choice do they have? They can only go in and out of this door. Sheep can't jump. Forget that nursery, you know, counting the sheep jumping over the fence. I don't think, that, I don't think that's real. I don't think that's real. I don't think they could do that, can they? Well, then, anyways, shepherds are smart. They're not going to build a wall that sheep can jump over. But, but what would happen? Why did they have to post the guard there? Because thieves jumped the wall, right? Now, what's a thief going to do? What did thieves do in ancient Israel when they came in to try and steal sheep? If you, if you try to steal a sheep, that's not an easy thing. I challenge you. No, don't go steal a sheep. But like, think about it. I challenge you mentally. Think about stealing a sheep. What are you going to do? You're going to wrestle this sheep down. Sheep's going to be ah, ah, right? screaming his head off. Right? You're going to try to tie it up. You're going to... She, you know, you're going to need a few buddies and you're going to have to try to push this sheep over the, over the wall that's like, you know, <clears throat> wrangling and wrestling. You think the guard's not going to hear that? You're crazy. Guard's not going to hear that? Guard's going to hear that. How do you steal sheep in those days? What you do is you go into the sheep pen, you sneak up, you grab a sheep, and you slit its throat. You kill the sheep. You slit its throat in the sheep pen. You let it bleed out. It dies. It's no longer making any noise. You take that sheep, you bring it to the wall, and you throw it over. Silent. It's silent. Friends, there are other ways to exit this sheep pen. There are other paths in life that you can take, aside from going through the door that Jesus says to go through. But those roads, those paths, they all lead to death, Jesus said the devil's MO is to steal and kill and destroy. That's what they lead to. The devil wants to slit your throat. They will often come, the devil will come in the form of a false shepherd, will say, I've come to give you life. Follow me, sheep. Come with me. Don't go through that door. Come out this other way, and I will give you pasture. I will give you life. But what he really wants to do is slit your throat. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he wants to do. And when we follow these false shepherds, any shepherd aside from Jesus, they promise us things that can seem very enticing at times, but it leads to death and it leads to destruction. There are so many shepherds in this day, aren't there, that speak to us. This world will say to us, uh, money, money is the path to happiness to green pastures, and to real meaning and purpose in this life. What did Paul say to Timothy in chapter 6? He said, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Through this craving and desire for more and more money, some people actually wander away from the faith. They end up leaving through a different door. The devil slits their throat. They walk away from the faith. Or you may say, well, I would never walk away from God. But Jesus said in Matthew 13, in the parable of the sower, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. What is that? That's the, the Christian who, 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 because of his love for money, may still be at church, may still go to small group, something or another, but it becomes unfruitful, lives a lukewarm life, is divided, is serving two masters. Jesus said in Matthew 6, you can't serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. Friends, this is such a false shepherd. It is so deceitful. Jesus said, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Why? Because riches and wealth make us proud and make us feel like we don't really need God. This desire for wealth is a false shepherd and it leads us down the path of destruction. How about freedom? Freedom is another false shepherd. Right? Don't a lot of people want freedom? So I just want to be able to do what I want to do in my life. I don't care, I don't care about how much money I have. I don't care about that. I just want freedom. I want to be able to do what I want to do. That's, that's really it for me. You guys ever, you ever heard about the FIRE movement? Uh, financial independence, retire early. You guys ever heard of this? Um, and the, the basic premise of this movement is that if you have to work, work, work life is slavery. That's not life. Work life is slavery. Now, not needing to work, that is freedom. Being able to do whatever you want. So what they're saying is life begins at retirement. That's when truly life begins. We don't need to work anymore. So let's, let's speed up the process. Let's speed up the process and try to retire as early as possible. Now, I have <clears throat> intrinsically nothing against the fire movement. There's nothing wrong with, you know, retiring early. There's nothing wrong with trying to be frugal or this or that. It's okay. But, but it's, it's, it's this philosophy we have to be careful about that says life begins at retirement. Life begins when I have freedom. I'm going to devote all my energy and my focus to to. To, to being able to do that so that at that point my life truly begins, which is a lie. That's a lie. Because Jesus, what the Bible says is that, no, life, life is to be lived now, whether you're working or not, whether you're retired or not, because walking with God is the meaning of life. That is the full life. And it is something that you can have and that God calls you to right now, not at some later point. The devil's lie, the thief's lie, the robber's lie is that you're not, you're not living until you're able to be free or financially free or have that independence and do what you want. So focus all of your energy on that for now. It's a delay tactic. It's a stalling tactic. It was my father, before he became a Christian, 
When I became serious about my faith, he would say to me, Ulysses, that Christian stuff, that's good, that's good. But you know what you need to do right now? Become successful. Make a lot of money. Then you know what will happen? People will respect you. Then they will listen to your gospel message. Then, then later you'll have the freedom and the time to be able to go do all that other stuff. But focus on being successful and, and rich right now. And then people will listen to you. That's a lie. That's a lie. It's about living for God right now. Right now, regardless of your work life or your financial state. C.T. Studd, the evangelist, in one of his poems, he wrote, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let me read that one more time. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The false shepherd says, wait, delay, work on having your freedom in this life so you can enjoy it now. That's the false shepherd. That leads not to life, but to death and destruction. How about lastly, how about love? The false shepherd of love that says to you, you know, there is, there is a person on this earth who can meet your deepest needs. And until you find that person, you're not able to live life to the fullest. Friends, where do you think marriage problems come from? They come from thinking that your spouse can meet your deepest needs. <laughs> That's where marriage problems come from. Because it's not true. It's not true. There's nobody on this earth that can meet your deepest needs. In fact, marriage itself, Paul said in Ephesians 5, he said, this mystery is profound, talking about marriage. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Earthly marriage is a picture that is meant to show us how good it is to be loved by Christ as his church. Marriage points to that. That is the purpose and the meaning of life. When we buy into the message that there is somebody on earth who can meet your deepest needs, it is a lie from a false shepherd. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Full, full, meaningful life. What does that look like? Let me just read to you that short psalm, Psalm 23, of what it looks like when Jesus is your shepherd. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is what life looks like when you are led by the good shepherd. How is this possible? How can we have this life? How can we have this good shepherd It's possible because, as Jesus said, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. It's because he's not just a hired hand. He's not just a renter. He's an owner. 
He has a stake in this. He is the good shepherd who owns his sheep. He loves his sheep. He cares for his sheep. And he, is, he loves his sheep so much that he lays his life down for his sheep. Jesus died upon the cross. He laid his life down so that his sheep can have life. And he says something crazy. He says, I lay down my life, but I also take it up. I lay down my life, but I take it up again. Friends, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. Any one of us, we have the authority to lay down our lives. We do. You can go and jump off a bridge and lay down your life. You can go and drive off a cliff and lay down your life. Please don't do that. You can do those things. But none of us can take our life back up again. That's crazy talk. But Jesus says, I lay my life down, but I take it back up. What is he saying? I die on the cross. I will die on the cross for your sins so that your sins can be forgiven so that you can go through the door. You can go down this path, this way to the Father and be reconciled in your relationship with the God. But I also rose again and the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty because I, I picked my life back up so that we can also follow God in this newness of life and walk with him and experience the fullness of life. It's because this good shepherd laid down his life and because he rose again. Friends, Jesus Christ died upon the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. And he rose on the third day from the tomb so that the same power, the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead would also raise up through our faith in Jesus to be able to walk with God, to be his disciples. It's possible because he lays down his life. Now, two other things about this shepherd, and then I'll close. But they're incredible things that we need to catch and understand here. Jesus says here in verse 14, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Earlier he said, the shepherd knows his sheep by name. He calls them by name. You know, brothers and sisters, what Jesus is saying here is that God knows you. He knows you. He loves you. He knows you by name. In those times, most shepherds probably, when they stood outside this communal sheep pen, they would whistle. They would make some type of call. And the sheep would recognize that whistle and they would all come to him but it was one whistle. They all had to know that whistle, not Jesus. Jesus says he's the good shepherd. He calls his sheep by name. He knows them individually. Like Bob and Bob, you don't name sheep Bob. I don't know what name. David, sorry if your name is David. David, come. and the sheep, each one comes when he calls the sheep. He knows them individually by name. Do you understand how, how incredible that is to be known by God in that way? You know, we have, we use name tags. I hope you all have a name tag on. If you don't, please grab a name tag every Sunday. Why? Because we want to spare the embarrassment of, of not knowing someone's name or forgetting somebody's name, right? That's why we do that. Because your name is your identity. Your name symbolizes who you are in many ways. You ever like meet somebody and you met them like maybe once 
or just briefly in the past, like maybe years ago, and they know your name. And they're like, oh, hey, hey, John, good to see you again. You're like, oh my gosh. You're like, hey, dude, right? You know, like that kind of thing. You're like, wow, he remembered my name. Why is that, why is that so special? Because you feel seen by the person, right? You feel known by the person. Look, look at what Jesus says here. I know my own and my own know me. My own know me. Now, this is just mind-blowing. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. How does God, how does Jesus know you? He knows you just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Let us not let the, the, the gravity of this pass us by. Jesus is saying he knows you in the same way that the Father knows Jesus and Jesus knows the Father. That's what it says here. That's not me making that up. That's what Jesus said. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. The analogy that he draws is, is crazy. It's crazy. What do you mean? Just as you, Jesus, you and the Father, you know each other so well so intimately that we can't even understand this relationship. So we came up with a theological term for it. It's called the Trinity. How you could be three separate persons, but one God at the same time, one God. Can you imagine how much they know each other? How well they know each other? Jesus says, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I know you. I know my own. Jesus knows you in this incredible, marvelous, unbelievable way. He knows you by name. He knows you more than by name. He knows you in this way. It doesn't matter if there have been hundreds of millions of Christians throughout the ages, as we, as we say on the Apostles' Creed, in, 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 in the church throughout the ages, or billions of Christians, he knows you by name. How incredible it is to be known by God in that way. When I became a Christian, when I was in high school, the evangelist that was there, he was preaching and preaching and preaching, and then he said, Jesus died for you. And then he said, I'm going to say this again, but instead of saying you, I'm going to be silent. I want you to just say your own name out loud. And I said, that's kind of kooky, but okay, I'll do it. And he said, Jesus died for Ulysses. And at that moment, I knew God. It, something happened. God birthed faith in me. I, I, I became aware that this Jesus thing was not something far off, but I came to understand that he came and died for me. That, that knowledge became so real in my heart. It became personal. Jesus knew me. He died for me. As Ephesians chapter 1, it says that, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before the universe was created. He chose you. He knew you. He knew you by name. This is who your good shepherd is. Brothers and sisters, you are not an accident. You are not an accident. No matter how you came into this world, no matter if you were loved or unloved, no matter what you are going through right now, whether you are surrounded by people or you feel desperately alone, you are known and seen by God, the good shepherd. 
He knows you just as the Father knows him and he knows the Father. Brothers and sisters, you are not alone. You are seen. God knows you. He loves you. This is who you are walking with. If you wonder, God, do you you know my life? Do you understand what's happening right now? Do you understand? How could this happen? How could you let this happen to me? He knows. He knows everything. His eye is ever upon you. He knows you more than you know yourself. He sees you and he knows you. He is a good, trustworthy shepherd. One last thing, and I'll close here. Jesus says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Who is Jesus talking about here? Who are these other sheep? Well, the sheep that Jesus is talking to right now, this flock is the people of Israel. It's the Jewish people. And some of them would hear Jesus' voice, like the blind man. The blind man would not listen to the voice of false shepherds when they said to him, tell us, how did he heal you? Come on, fess up. He's demon-possessed. He wouldn't listen to them. He heard the voice of Jesus. His eyes were no good, but his ears were perfect. He heard the voice of his good shepherd. He went and he washed and he came back seeing. When he saw Jesus, he bowed down. He said, Lord, and he worshiped him. He heard the voice of Jesus. But there are other sheep not in this flock. Who are they? Those are the Gentiles. Those are anybody who's not Jewish. Those are me and and probably almost all of you. These are the people that Jesus says, we also need to go out. And and he has sheep out there that need to hear his voice. This is the great commission that God has called us to, to tell people all around us, whether in our neighborhood or on the other side of the earth, that there is a shepherd who laid down his life. And now the really encouraging thing about this, the really good news about this is that Ultimately, it is not about you, your ability to persuade somebody that they need to believe in Jesus. If they are Jesus' sheep, you just make the call and they will hear Jesus' voice. They will come. You don't, it's not about how persuasive you are. It's not about how smart you are. It's not about whether or not you have the answer to everybody's questions and all that. It's not about any of those things. That's why Jesus calls us to be witnesses, just to tell of what we've seen. When we do that, if they are Jesus' sheep, if they are his chosen, and his chosen ones are scattered throughout the earth, they will hear somehow. They will believe, like I did. Jesus died for Ulysses. They will believe. They will hear the voice, and they will turn to God. Isn't that encouraging, brothers and sisters? That is not up to us. You say, well, what about apologetics? What about reading those books and being able to answer all those questions? And hey, that's good. Read those books. Apologetics is good. We don't want to go out there and just say, I don't know. You go figure it out yourself. No, apologetics is good. But even in our apologetics, even when we answer people's questions, if somebody comes to know the Lord, it's not because of your apologetics. It's because they heard the voice of Jesus. He called them through whatever you shared with them. Ultimately, it is the work of God. So that gives us confidence, brothers and sisters. As we go and as we go and declare the name of Jesus to those around us, that it is not about your ability. But we go and we declare 
the way to God, the door, and his sheep will hear his voice. Amen. Let us stand together. Let us respond to the word of God this morning.